We're going through lessons in bravery from the life of David. Uh, and we're going to go through, uh, the, the next two messages are going to be from one text. Uh, before we get to those, uh, we, I want to introduce kind of the, these two uh, uh, final messages by talking about what bravery is. We've been talking about David's courage and how, the, the things that made David a courageous person. But before we can talk about that, uh, I want to highlight the idea that, that bravery is not opposite of fear. Uh, there might be references in the Bible, and we typically think, I think, of, uh, that, of fear and, and bravery as somehow opposites. We, we read scriptures maybe like, have no fear, or, or perfect love casts out fear, verses like that. But in this case... Um, a literal reading, I don't believe is the correct, and in fact I'm sure that it's not the correct interpretation because it would contradict other passages, uh, fear God and keep his commandments, for example, or fear is the beginning of wisdom, fear him who casts the body and soul into hell. And so, so we are required, in fact, by God to fear. So what we need to do is to understand fear in context, fear, first of all, is an emotion, um, among other things. And we cannot eliminate fear as an emotion. You are hardwired for fear. We talk about fight or flight. Uh, I learned about that in biology class. Fight or flight uh, is, is, uh, is based on a chemical and, and that, that gets released into your body in, in awful circumstances and it prompts you to do certain things. So it's, it's, just, it's just a natural thing, and it's a part of fear. Learning to behave properly, in fact, requires fear and training in fear. Let me illustrate this by uh, showing you some pictures. Here is a, the apartment we first lived at when we moved to Ukraine. Now it looks high. Uh, it look, now I can tell you it feels higher than it, than it might look in that picture. On the, you see the, the bank on the, the first floor there. And those are high ceilings in there. Those are almost like 10-foot ceilings, nine, nine and a half to 10-foot ceilings in, in each of those apartments. So, so it's really high. So we, uh, we're over there, and uh, there's a, a main street and everything. And you can tell, here's a picture uh, from the inside of that's our kitchen window you can see the circle there and here's the a picture from looking out of that that kitchen window and, and you'll know now that's benjamin uh benjamin was a small guy and he liked that window uh particularly that one uh any window was great but that particular window and we spent a lot of time we'd look at the street and our first year over there we'd kind of if we'd be around we'd look at you know stuff happening out the window and uh th- but we got nervous because we're like, one of these times, we're not going to be looking, and he's going to get up in that window, and they're pretty easy to open. And uh, that's, that's a long way to fall. And so I, uh, one, one day, I'm like, well, we're going to have to handle this. So he was old here. He's just, a, he's really young. We were, this is, I think, probably our first year over there. And, uh, but we lived over in that apartment for about three years. So he got to the age where he was quite more capable to climb up there. Uh, kids just are good at climbing things, and we're worried he's going to climb up and do some significant damage. So, so one time I, I, uh, I grabbed him in my hand, 
held on tightly, opened up the window, and I took an egg. And we leaned out, you know, as, as safe, because I don't like heights. Uh, I'm naturally uh, afraid of heights, and uh, I'm not brave concerning heights. And uh, I, I, I just leaned out with them just so he could poke his head. And I said, Benjamin, I said, I said you watch this egg. I looked both ways, and I'm kind of nervous because this is a busy street. You know, right down, if you look to the right, uh, if you could look down uh, to the right of this picture, there would be a, a hospital at the at the end of this this road, just a, like a couple of blocks away, where where uh, it's it's where uh, the pregnant women go to have. It's like their uh, maternity ward. It's just specifically devoted to that. So so there's a lot of women typically walking up and down that street, and. Uh, and then you've got the bank right there. So there's a lot of people coming down. I'm like, I hope I, hope I don't nail somebody with this. But, but I dropped the egg, and fortunately no one popped around the corner at the wrong time because we're right on the corner of there. And uh, with that egg, it just it blew apart. Just, like, it was just everywhere. You know, there was probably someone looking across the street going, what in it? Is it some idiot dropping an egg out of his window uh, holding the sun in his hand? But, but that went down there, and it just boom. And Benjamin... I said, I said, Benjamin, that if you fall out this window, that's your head. And we have no more Benjamin, and we, we can't clean you up. We can't put you back together. And that made an impression on him, even at three years old. Uh, he, he wouldn't come near that window for some time. Uh, I, think, I think we probably moved before he was, he was you know, to a, to a second floor apartment, uh, significantly safer and you know, uh, before, and that one had bars on the window, so it was nice. But we need fear. And the scriptures, we, we understand, scriptures deal primarily with spiritual matters. Paul tells us that he was in Corinth. He said, he, I was in much fear and, and trembling. And he's, I believe, speaking of a physical situation in which he was in, uh, he was, in, in a, a threat physically, and that's why he had fear, and you can't get rid of that emotion. But Second Timothy one seven, Paul says this. He says, "We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind." And when we talk about a spirit of fear, I think that brings us and helps us understand these verses that seem to identify fear as a bad thing with those that identify it as a necessary thing. And it's this verse to me that is a key verse in understanding how both of those work together. That, that we're not given a spirit of fear. In other words, when you say someone has a spirit of something, if someone has a spirit of enthusiasm, they have this spirit, they have a general behavior, a general characteristic that, that identifies them. And we don't have a fearful character. It's, it, that's not our overriding uh, identifier, in other words. And so there is a difference between, I guess you'd say there's a difference between having a fear and being afraid. Uh, I have a fear of something, but, but I'm not afraid. I, I don't just walk around and I'm, I'm afraid. I'm not given a spirit of fear. So bravery, when we talk about bravery and fear and how those work together, it's not getting rid of the emotion because that's not something that's really possible for me to do. That's an impossible and even a counterproductive thing to ask. But what God is saying is, God is saying you need to learn how to override your natural emotion. That's not the overriding and, and controlling uh, motivator in your life. And so, 
uh, our final sermons are taken from one text. They're taken from, if, if you think of bravery and David. Now we talked last week about, you know, so, not so great moment in David's life. But we're going to talk about the moment that we think of as great. In fact, we're going to be talking about it the next two weeks. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse 12. <clears throat> it says, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. He had eight sons. The man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. Now the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, Aminadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, but the three oldest followed Saul. David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. The Philistine would draw near and present himself for forty days, morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son, uh, David, Take now to your brothers an ephah of dried grain and these ten loaves, and go to your brothers in the camp. Then carry this cheese to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare, and then bring back news of them. Now Saul and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. And Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. <coughs> and David left his supplies in the hand of the supplier, of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Now as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, whose name was Goliath. He's coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw that man, fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who comes up? He's come up to defy Israel, and it will be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, and give him his daughter, and his father's house will be exempt from taxes. So David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine, and take away his reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? Who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? I know your pride, the arrogance of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a just cause? And he turned from him towards another one, and he said the same thing, and the people answered him like the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him, and said, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant, We'll go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine. You can't fight with him. You're just a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after it, I would strike it, and delivered the lamb out of its mouth. When he arose against me, I would grab it by the beard and struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like them, seeing that he has defined the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, 
The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with a coat of mail, and David fastened on the sword to his armor, and tried to walk. But he couldn't, because he had not trained in them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, I've not trained them. So David took it off. So he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch that he had, and the sling was in his hand, and he came and approached the Philistine. So we are going to talk about, this week, stepping out. How bravery steps out. And uh, some of the things, look at some of the things that David did to step out and, and face this challenge that he had. And the first thing we noticed that, that David could have focused on a lot of things to avoid doing that, but David despises obstacles. That's the first thing he does. He despises his obstacles. What, what things could he have focused on? Well, I, I think the obvious one here in verse uh, 39 is as David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, but he, he couldn't. He, 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 he hadn't trained in them. He couldn't even walk. Now, this is Saul's armor. And we need to know that, that Saul was a big man. Okay? He was, uh, when he was chosen as king, it, it says that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Now, I don't know if that means every absolute person in Israel, but, but he was head and shoulders at least above the average. Now, we have some people here this morning. <clears throat> we have a family of people that are, that are head and shoulders uh, uh, above the majority of us. Right? And, and we, they've come over to our house, and you know, they've got a duck to come into our door. And, uh, and when I stand next to Barry, I feel a little bit short. Oh, oh or Alec, or what? You know, I, I feel a little bit short standing next to you guys. Um, Barry, have you ever been to a basketball game? Yeah. And, and how did you feel when you were at the basketball game? Now, now Barry is a, is a tall guy. And, and so you, you feel short. Now, those are tall, tall guys. Now, I don't know if those are... are the the size of Saul. I don't know. Maybe Barry's the size of Saul, but but whatever the case was, Saul is hiding in his tent because David far outweighs him and out out highs him. I mean, he's he's a big guy, and I mean, I I, I have in my house. Okay, I have a I have a vaulted ceilings, so so they don't they're not flat ceilings. They go to a peak in in my kitchen, and uh. In my living room. And, and so if you stood right at the peak, at the highest point of my roof, if you stood under that, kind of like this, this thing going right down the middle, if you stood right there in my house, you'd be right about the height of Goliath. Maybe about nine foot six, something like that, nine foot nine, somewhere, somewhere in there, you know. And so I look at that and I go, man, that's huge. That's huge. And, and if I go down from that, a good portion of then I come to Saul. Saul felt like a small guy next to Goliath. And David, David couldn't even walk with Saul's armor. So what do you think David was compared to, to, to Goliath? So, so size, size is an amazing thing. I mean, that is an obstacle. And he despises his, the, the, the most obvious obstacle. In verse 14... We look at another obstacle 
And <clears throat> it talks about how uh, there's all these sons. And the three oldest go uh, to war. But David, it says, was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. So, so there's age. There's an age thing. I'll show you a picture. This is a picture of a, of a guy, uh, a kid. Um, I think he's like 11 or 12 or something like that. At, uh, at Katie's hometown church. Uh, and you can't tell. Uh, wish you could see the video. But he is absolutely, in this photo, tearing up Beethoven's uh, Moonlight Sonata. I mean, he's just, I mean, incredible just to watch this 11-year-old kid who started playing by ear like a year ago or so. That is unfathomable. But we look at things and we say, well, because of your age, you should not be able to... I mean, that's an obstacle. Age is an obstacle. He won a regional competition. He's going to win the national competition, you know, which is the next stage that, that, that is a bunch of uh, the, all the religious organizations in this thing get together, and they have all these schools, and, and they'll get together, and they'll, they'll, they'll compete together, and he'll, he'll win, and he's going to be on a stage uh, playing a, a command performance if you win. You get to play for the, the whole national convention. And he's going to be playing for that. That's a fait accompli unless, unless one of his arms falls off. So, <clears throat> but age. We look at age as important. And he could have. It's all system of the man. He's been fighting since he was your age. And you're just, you're just you're barely getting started in life. There were other older people to fight, but all the all the older people were hiding. And then uh, I like this verse twenty eight and twenty nine. I don't know if I like it, but it's interesting. Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he David spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, "Why did you come down here? Who did you leave those sheep with in the wilderness? Those few sheep with in the wilderness." I know the pride and the motives of your heart, and you come down here to see what's going on. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a just reason? There's a lot in there. But this is about proficiency. There is a, first of all, there's an apparent history with Eliab, the oldest. I don't know if Eliab is ticked off because he wasn't anointed by Eli, and he's been carrying that one around. But David's answer is interesting. He says, what have I done now? I mean, come on, Eliab, again? So there's something going on between these two for the last couple of years. But he says, I know. I know what you're thinking. I know why you're down here. And he's reading his mind and judging his character and his motives. But then he's, Eliab takes a shot at David. He says, oh, you're just, you're just a shepherd boy. In fact, you're not just a shepherd boy, but you only got a few sheep. You're not even good enough to a real flock. I mean, you don't even have a real flock. So, he's not been trained in warfare. He's young. He's short. While the better equipped men, the better trained and talented men, are all hiding in their tents. And he ignores those obstacles. 
Beyond that, he has a perspective of himself. That's the second thing we want to look at. He has a history. Verse 34, he's talking with Saul. David said to him, he said, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. If a lion or bear would come and take a lamb from the flock, I would go after it and strike it and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If it would arise against me, I'd grab it by the beard and strike it and kill it. I've killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like those, because he's defied the armies of the living God. So he goes to a point of history to overcome his fear. I, I don't doubt that he's afraid as he looks at it. I don't doubt that he has a feeling of fear. I, I, I think he was probably had the same thing, but he's, he's got something that overrides that. And so one of the things he does is he draws on some successful moments to gain courage to meet this challenge. Now, <clears throat> one of the things I notice in here is apparently uh, coming across bears and lions, mountain lions, by the way, is going to be a fairly commonplace thing, a regular occurrence of some sort in David's recent past. This is all in plural. Yeah, when this happens, I do this. And when this happens, whenever, whenever this happens, good grief. I don't want to have this happen once. Yeah, can't you like lead the sheep somewhere where they're not? I don't know. Do you find a no, no bear zone? or I don't know. And I don't know what kind of bears. What, I don't know what kind of bears they have over there or at this time. But, but whatever kind of bear, I don't want to mess with it. I've seen a small bear in, in, in person out at a campground. And I wasn't too happy about that. That kind of scared me. Uh, and someone said, well, they're, they're, not, they're kind of harmless. They're just looking for trash. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't like them. They can just nose over there. Well, <clears throat> I can't imagine running up to said bear and grabbing it by the beard and beating it to death. But this is apparently a thing that happens with him. And he draws on that. He's like, yeah, this Philistine's going to go the same route. We're going to talk a little bit about that because it's not, that, that statement doesn't come from pride. And it might look like it does, but we're going to see that it does not. Verse 40, he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. And another thing is he did is he recognized the tools that he was good at using. Know your tools. You've, you've seen that David didn't rely on other people's weapons. He put them on, he was like, here, try this. He's like, uh -huh. I can't even walk. I can't even walk. I'm not really going to be successful trying to use your tools. And so he was familiar with something, and he had success with that. And so he draws again. It's like drawing on his history. He knows who he is. He's got a perspective of himself. Now, let me explain what, what I think that means. You can't be... Because, we, remember, this whole series, a group of series that we're doing, is about your public faith. It's about how you are visible to other people in your Christianity. And you cannot be public with somebody else's faith. You can't win with those weapons. It always sounds a little bit hollow when, when you hear people say, well, my preacher says, 
or our church believes, your faith has to be your own. Only then can you share it with any degree of confidence. If I were to ask you why you come here each week, why you're a Christian, what is the basis for that? Can you, can you answer without quoting a, a person here or, or citing a tradition of the church or something like that? You've got to have your own faith. You've got to be able to explain it your way. Uh, so long as that way is, is kind of in line with the truth, you know, we have to make sure we're in line with the truth. But, but the specific way you'll explain it will be your own. The specific way you approach a person will be your own. The events of your spiritual journey should not be despised simply because they are not somebody else's. We, <clears throat> you know, you, you have kids and you watch them mimic. I mean, you, we've all watched our kids mimic somebody. They like, they, sometimes it's their parents. When they're really young, your parents can be cool. They, they'll mimic their parents and do things the way their parents do. But then when they get older a little bit, they, they might mimic somebody else, uh, another person, an uncle or whatever. They're cool now. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll do things. They'll wear their clothes like them. They'll, we, we mimic. We mimic. And, and so it's the same thing with, the, with, with Christians. When we're young in our faith, we will mimic people that were influential to us. We might try to sound like them, or we might try to talk like them, or do the types of things that they do religiously, because that's our model. And I suppose that's okay for a little bit, uh, until we, we learn who we are. Uh, I... <laughs> It's kind of a weird thing, but maybe I I just remember uh, I noticed this at, in in Bible college a lot, um, and even after uh, I I noticed that you know you'd you'd hear someone who would you know here you are in a place where they're training you to preach, right? And um, I remember other there was other colleges that we were we knew people from there, and and uh, so. And I, I was in a congregation where a couple people from that other Bible college were later on. And, and you know, they would preach. Uh, and uh, I wasn't the main preacher there. And, um, so the main preacher was from this other college. And they, they would have another guy. He would, he would fill in. I would fill in every once in a while if they was on vacation or whatever. And uh, so, so, so there were two of them from the same, from the same one Bible college. And I, you can tell their speech patterns. I'm like... You know, they would say things in three, like God is, uh, he's wonderful, amazing, and awesome. You know, that, like, it, everything was in threes. And, uh, and it, it was, it's uncanny how many people, and it's like, uh, you know, so I'd be sitting there and like, oh, oh he must be from Denver. Oh, oh sorry about that. Um, we're recording here, so uh, that one slipped out. Anyway, you know, good people. Um, but we mimic we, we are influenced. And I'm not saying it's bad to be influenced, but at some point, you have to, is this the illustration, you, your faith has to be your own. You have to be public with your story. Your story is your story, and no one can mimic your story. The third thing that David does to overcome fear is he has and recognizes the proper backing. Verse 37 he says, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Now I mentioned that he talked about his personal history, and that was important. But he wasn't vain in that. 
his, his declaration of his personal history wasn't talking about how, how awesome he, David, was. David's confidence came from his dependence on God for victory. So I'm not saying that he should, or we should take credit for, for the personal successes in our past, but it is important to recognize those successes and give it the proper credit. It's from God. In fact, if you think of it this way, it would be wrong to not review our successes because when those come from God and we don't review that, when we don't have that in our mind, then we're not crediting God for the successes we've had. So that was important for David to do. But it is good to know that you can be used by God. It is good. It, it makes you feel good. It's like, wow, I was able to be used. I was, I was able to be in a place where God could use me for something. <coughs> now the last one here, as we talk about proper backing, is, is not really found in these scriptures, but it, it's kind of along the same lines. It's just this point developed. You know, David didn't suddenly just remember this random thing in his past where, oh, you know what, Saul, I was just thinking about this. Uh, probably God will, will rescue me because I had this one time, this one thing happened and God rescued me. As we said, this is a regular occurrence. I don't know how often. But I can tell you that David had repeated the source of his strength in his mind. He had developed the habit of attributing things that he was successful at to God and not taking the credit for them. Now, let me tell you how I would be. Just my tendency. And, just, and think about this. Let's imagine this, this scenario with me. If you have, you know, everything goes good. You've you got the Midas touch, right? I mean, you're, you, you're at your work. The projects that they give and assign to you, they go wonderful. That is great. Awesome. And then, and then you, 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 you're getting promotions and all that. And then you come home and, and uh, you're in extracurricular stuff. I mean, it could be sports. It could be, I don't know, what kind of music. Whatever, whatever things you touch. It's like, I, I have this hobby. I have this thing. And, you know, it, some of you have some pretty cool hobbies. I mean, we have people who fix cars. Uh, we have people who do like motorcycle stuff. We have we have all sorts of hobbies here, right? And and if imagine if you never had like they just they just seem to be going great all the time. Don't have problems, okay? And then and the stuff is going great in your family, and it's just awesome. Hey, kids getting great grades in school, and we must have done something right. And and as as things multiply that are multiples upon multiples of successes. It would be easy for us in that situation to start thinking and, and rationally concluding that, you know, the common denominator in all of my successes is me. I've been there for every one of them. I must be pretty good. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a show. I'm going to have a reality TV show called Bear Killer or something, you know, because I, 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 here's a bear. He had come up and, and, and he's dead. And, and mountain lion, maybe we'll call it the, the mountain, mountain lion strangler. 
And, and I, I just, hey, every time there's a mountain lion, I've, I've, I've come out on top every time. It would be easy to start thinking, hey, it's me. I'm, I'm pretty good. And so for David to get up in front of Saul and say, listen, God is going to protect me. That's because every time he's had a success, he's attributed it to God and not himself. He's got a habit of doing that. It doesn't just randomly happen. He's repetitious in his honoring of God. Now here's the thing. If he wasn't, you'd know it. Because as, as potent as a bear is and a mountain lion, and I don't want to touch either one of them, not in hand to hand, the one thing that they're not, they're not a nine foot six armed trained killer. With, with uh, you know, heavy armor. And if you want a description of the heavy armor, read how much that stuff weighs. Uh, that, that Goliath wears. There, there's no way David, if he thought he was all that with a bear and a lion, and he had gone down there. He wouldn't have been volunteering for this job. Because to face that is a, is a different thing. It's out of your comfort zone. I'm, I'm pretty good with, with sticking with little stuff. I don't think I can handle this. He was able to handle it because he was able to overcome his fear. He was able to overcome his fear because he had never attributed success to his ability or whatever failures to his inability. Whatever. He... God was capable to work through his infirmities. And it was God who gave him his successes. Stepping out means being apart from the majority. Not always, but quite frequently. I find it comfortable to not be in the majority. I mean, I suppose there's times I want to be in the majority, but you'll hear the pressure tactics. Well, the majority believes this. Whenever you hear that, it's like, well, if you don't have something better to convince me with than just I need to be a part of the majority, I tend to not believe you. If you can't convince me of being in the majority because there's a certain thing why I should be in the majority... And the only reason I should be in the majority is simply for the sake of being a majority. I don't want to be one of you. So I'm always aware of that. When that's used as the, the reason. Pressure tactics, in fact, sometimes come from friends, not enemies. Sometimes those who want to jump out and, or should jump out and, and be a part of the, the solution don't want you to be. Kind of like here. They're on the same side. One of you should be going out. Why are you in your tents? Isn't there a just cause? And so before we get to the actual enemy, we have to fight, fight the apathy of others who just don't want us to make waves. And of course, ultimately, the greatest enemy that we are going to fight 
is ourselves. God's got the other enemy under control, but we have to fight ourselves. You can always come up with a reason to not do something. You know what good reason for not fighting a nine foot six guy is? Being five foot six. That's a good reason. That's not just a bad excuse. That's a good reason. I'm not going to win this one. You know what another good reason for not fighting a, a nine foot six giant is? I've never fought a nine foot six giant. I've never fought a five foot six guy with armor. I'm just, I've not fought in armor. I don't think I'm going to win this one. That's a, that's a good reason. You, you know what another good reason for not getting involved in this is? Yeah, I'm, I'm like 16. Yeah, this guy is like, I don't know, he's like 35. He's a trained warrior. I'm not going to win this one. Those are good reasons, by the way. Those are wonderful reasons. Except in this case. We can find, sometimes we find bad reasons not to do things. But we can find a reason, good or bad. We're good at that. What is difficult about public faith? Let's talk about our, our main subject. We can imagine so many obstacles, some of them good, some of them not good. You know, here's a legitimate thing about not being a Christian or not expressing your faith. I could lose my job. That's a good reason. I'm just going to say, that's a good reason. Here's another one. And I know this, I know personal stories. My family is not going to like it. That may or may not be true, but I do know people... I know one preacher, he says, I haven't talked to my father or my, my brother in, in, in decades. He says, if I call him up, he's like, are you still a Christian? If I say yes, he hangs up the phone. That's a good reason. I'm not saying it's a real good reason, but, but as far as reasons go, that's, that's kind of a, that, that carries some weight with me. That's hard. No, we have some not so good reasons, but, but those, are, those are a little bit heavier. God says, overcome your fear. All of your what-ifs, all of those things, even if they happen, even if they're legitimate, like a nine-foot-six giant, that is, that is real and that's tangible. You have to overcome your fear. Not saying don't be afraid, just saying you've got to overcome it. You've got to step out. One of the things that people express about getting baptized and their hesitancy to do so is I don't want to do it in front of a big group. I want a small private affair. This is one of those this is not a really good reason kind of thing. Oh, you might be afraid of groups or being in front of people or what am I going to say and I'm going to be nervous and what are the uh, I'd just rather do it small or eh, maybe not at all. Listen, there's, there's no violent giants who are here with a spear that are going to prevent you from getting to this, to this baptistry. No one is going to prevent that. We're all here, and we're all on the same side, and, and no one's going to make fun of you. That, that's not a good reason. We still have the fear, maybe. Baptisms are not designed for small private affairs. Now, I'm not saying if yours was, it's, it's less valid or anything like that. But this is what I want to, uh, to, I hope to leave you with, is that 
this is where you start to be public about your faith. This is good training. This is where you start to develop your habit. To speak publicly and to, to not be ashamed of, of things is, is to, to stand here in front, of, in front of people. This morning, right during Tim's Lord's Supper meditation, <clears throat> I got a text. It was a video from, from Ukraine. And uh, Slavic, they, they baptized two people this morning. And, and I've seen, I looked at the photos. I wasn't going to play the video and interrupt the Lord's Supper thoughts, but I just happened to look over and there's some, some photos, some screenshots. No, I mean, the, the group in Nicopol was all there. They were all there. Big circle standing all around them. It's designed, baptism is designed for, for a group setting and for getting trained to be and publicly declare your belief in Christ. So David's going to, to lead us in, in, a, in a closing song. I want to encourage those of you who are thinking about it to step out. To step out. So, so, so aisle's right there. And it may be hard because of the, the things that you think or the fears that you may have. But uh, that is your first step to a, a life of bravery on David.